This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Today, Sarah Shook, American country music singer-songwriter, also really deep person. This is a super uh, intense and loving and open conversation. Um, You can hear Sarah's music with Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, and you can also listen to this beautiful chat right now. Let's start the way I always start. I always have uh, guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Shook, and my pronouns are they, them. Oh, rad. And also, you, your name is in a band name. It is. Sarah Shook and the Disarmers. I think it's kind of, uh, I, was, I was wondering how that feels to be a part, like a, not, it's like not, the band isn't Sarah Shook, but also the band isn't the Disarmers. I, I feel like that's a particularly fun one that I, I don't know if I've had anybody on the uh, podcast who has that thing going on. How's that feel? Is that fun? It is fun. Um, it's it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a thing. It's very intentional. And when I first- Oh, tell me. Yeah. Well, when I first started playing shows, um, like I write all the songs- um, so I write the lyrics and, um, the chord progressions and the melodies. Um, some, sometimes I'll write like little guitar riffs and, uh, signature licks and stuff like that. Um, but when I first started playing, like the people that were playing music with me, that was the thing. It was like, I brought the songs and then they brought their t- individual talents and skills and like made it into this whole bigger thing. Um, and these are also people that were like very loyal bandmates um, for a long time. My, my guitarist right now, Eric, uh, he and I have been playing music together for eleven years. Where geographically? Give me that. Give me that. Eleven years ago, when you're meeting each other, where are you? We're in Chatham County, North Carolina. So around the about the middle of the state. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, we can we can come back to that, but but keep going on what you were going to say about yeah um, <clears throat> the name. So I mean, there was definitely consideration put into it because it, you know I was like, well, we could just call it like Sarah Shook, but I feel like that's kind of cheating you guys out of some recognition. Um, and obviously, it's like yes, I write the songs, but there's only so much that I can bring to the table as a person with a guitar singing. And you know what I mean? Like your, your band. No, I totally don't. But only just because I'm not a musician at all, but I'm listening. I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah. Well, so for example, like, have you ever been to like a coffee shop or, or a restaurant or some place where you have like one person with a guitar set up singing? What if I had answered no just at, have you ever been to a coffee shop? No. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. The the vibe of one person singing with a mic that has a arm on it. Yep. Totally. I know yeah. that. Yeah. And often those performers feel like they're trying really hard. And it's because they have to try really hard because they don't have a band. <laughs> so a band is... You're trying less hard when you're in a band? Yeah, your band, you can kind of just fulfill your role as the singer and the rhythm guitar player. And like, to top that off, I am not necessarily a very strong guitarist to begin with. Like, I know some basic stuff to get me through. Um, but for me, like, I'm a songwriter and my bandmates are like musicians, musicians that like do what they do. And maybe I, I should cut myself a little more slack, but, you know, I felt like, in choosing a name, they should have some. They should have some of the spotlight too. Um, and even like when we when we set up on stage for shows, like we don't. I'm not front and center. Like we spread out across the front, and then we have the drummer behind us. And like everything that 
that we do as far as presentation goes, we are we're equals. Um, and I feel like it's really important that that's uh, demonstrated for for us and also for like people that are coming out to see us. And these these other folks. Um, so you you said eleven years for Eric. Yeah. Yep. Um, what about the rest of the band? Um, our bass player, Aaron Oliva, has been with us for about six years now. And um, our drummer, Jack, is has been with us a little over a year. And um, our pedal steel player has been with us. He, he did some tours with us in 2018 and um, has gone on and like played with other bands and has filled in and kind of subbed with us. But he'll be going out with us a lot this year, Adam Kurtz. So... Um, and Jack Foster is our drummer. It's a really good crew, really good crew of dudes. And these are like cis dudes. They are. How is that? How is that experience? It feels pretty normal. Um, the way that I was raised was very homeschooled. And <laughs> very homeschooled. Very homeschooled. So I wasn't socialized within my peer group. I was socialized wow. within families because we did like house church shit so it's like it would be just as normal for me to have a conversation with like you know a 60 year old man as it would be like uh his four-year-old grandchild you know what i mean um so there's like all you're you're interacting with all different kinds of people as far as age range goes um so I I just, I don't know, it, it felt natural. Um, and these were people that I had some kind of, uh, when I was starting out, I had some kind of like friendship with or relationship with. So it wasn't, for the most part, it wasn't like complete strangers out of the blue. Chatham County, North Carolina is a pretty small place. <laughs> well, I want to go back to this um, very homeschooled thing for a moment. Is that that model of just as likely I've been having a conversation with this person or this person. Um, do you, is that something that you like? Is that something you're, you're happy that you had in your um, background? There are mixed emotions there for sure. Um, and there are things that at the time I felt were really detrimental and uncomfortable that in retrospect, probably in a way helped me sort of become the way that I am as far as my writing and my approach to music. Um, there were good things about it and there were bad things about it. And um, there are, you know, people homeschool their kids for all manner of reasons. And mine, mine happened to fall into the category of extreme evangelical conservative Christians that, you know, taught us that the world is sinful and people are sinful and you need God and not just like we go to church every Sunday morning, you need God, but like we pray every day and we have worship time as a family and we have devotions. Like it was my whole childhood. Um, yeah. It, so everything that you are probably imagining right now when you hear conservative evangelical Christian, like probably, probably applies. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I know, I mean, I certainly have familiar familiarity with like that uh type of family structure and that type of church structure i think what i have less familiarity with is the adding the homeschool aspect to it you know and so where did you live like where what in what type of environment did you live uh i was growing up uh in western new york we moved around a little bit um but i mean just kind of your standard Standard apartment or house, depending on which state we were in. And were there other folks in those communities who had, who like shared the same beliefs and were doing the same thing? And was that like a big community or was that like, there's four other families like this? Yeah. In Western New York, my mom and two other women started a homeschool group. So initially it was three families. It was really, really small. And over the course of you know, eight or nine years, it blew up. I think by the time we moved to North Carolina, there were like 40 families or something like that. So it, it grew exponentially in a really short amount of time. Um, and f 
For the, I mean, there actually is a lot of variety typically when you're talking about homeschoolers, but it seemed to me that for the most part, like these people were all, all very um, like uniformly minded as far as like their, their priorities and their view of gender and their like everything that, um, you know, would, would kind of fall under the conservative homeschooler. We have to protect our children from the evil world satanic panic, you know, as a child of the eighties, like I very much remember being a small kid and like hearing some satanic panic talk. So. Oh yeah. I was, yeah. I was just, uh, doing a little dive into that for some reason we don't know what is making us interested about different things at different times but um i was remembering all that uh i think it was i think it was sometime after the lil nas x montero video controversy where he's like actually lap dancing the devil who's also him yeah um, i was remembering what you're talking about i i feel like there are maybe y- younger listeners who like don't know what you're talking about would, would you describe it for a second yeah so Satanic Panic was basically a lot of sort of, I don't know, what is the word for square these days? Like straight-laced, uptight, older people who felt Anti-vaxxer. Like, I don't know. Anti-vaxxer, <laughs> yes. I literally feel like it's like the same community um, that's now worried about like, and this is just, I, I could be wrong, but it feels like there's like a lot of like real world focus. Um you know, or or somebody who's like a conspiracy theorist in the, you know, um, Pizzagate vein or something like that. Like that's a version of it. But then it also could be an anti-vaxxer. That's a that that person can be like a pretty, um, you know, that's like a someone who's just a member of any community. But but it was like very specifically focused on like a yeah, like a Satan made real on yeah. Earth in like a an actual not like these things are bad but like these things are like actually from the devil yeah a a real guy yeah is from actual hell yeah um i feel like we've like gotten a little bit away from that in in culture there's like the same type of reaction but it's like different stuff but i don't really see the same get getting out of that like bubble i guess it, it like on the outside, you're just like, yeah, that is ridiculous. Like you can look at it and you can be objective. And like when you're in it, especially when you're like a little kid and you're just relying on grownups to like tell you what is what, like you have grownups being like, oh, well, E.T. is a demon. And that's why we don't watch that movie. And troll dolls are like demonic and they're the devil. And like the devil's trying to be like cute and have fluffy hair. And it's just like, what? Like, do y'all have nothing better? to do with your time than find a goddamn demon behind every bush. Oh my God. But that that's like, that is a great way to like sum up what the satanic panic was. It was looking for evil in everything, just trying to make everything the worst it could possibly be. Totally. First of all, as somebody, you know, I grew up in a um, conservative religious household of Catholicism and Catholicism is like, it's a really different version of things because it's like so... The Catholic Church just did an amazing job of, like, sewing itself into culture. So, I mean, they did a great job of, like, investing in mainstream schooling and, like, universities and um, art, like, from a lot of years ago. Um, And sort of, like, getting iconography and imagery, you know, when it's, like, being depicted by Michelangelo and then it's, like, fine art we don't even notice that it's actually religious propaganda and iconography um and they did it you know they did like a great job with football like it's like you know we don't even think about the religious conservatism that happens at a place like notre dame we think about like rudy so anyway i just this is just all to say that um yeah no doubt in my end that uh religious communities can make pretty extreme views really normative. Like that was my experience. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I hear you. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? 
absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Homeschooled through high school? Yep, I was homeschooled from first grade through graduating 12th grade. So then you're a teen, like on the sort of cusp of, of adulthood. What what happened at that point in your life? Um, I was 17 when I graduated. And uh, it was around that age that I got my first job and my first car. Hmm. Um. And I got a job as a cashier at Wegmans in Geneva, New York. And um, is that a grocery store? It's that- a gro- it's a grocery store. And all of my coworkers were all these high school kids that were like seniors, and so they all knew each other. So it was kind of like being the new kid, right? And obviously, very much like a freak new kid, you know. And uh, they were just like, you know, what? What do you mean you don't listen to music? Like what do you mean you don't know like who these bands and artists are? And I'm just like, dude, I, I'm not allowed to listen to music. Like I, any music. What about like church? What about uh, religious music? We could listen to worship music. Okay. And classical music. Um, any, anything that was not like worship or praise was not allowed. So like even like contemporary Christian groups that were really starting to get popular, um, the whole concept of having like Christian bands that went on tour and stuff like my parents just weren't having any of that. What is worship and praise? Is that songs that would be sung at a church? Is that what yes. that is? Okay. Yeah. So it's like literally like you singing to God. So when you have like these other like sort of contemporary Christian bands, they're singing a little bit about life and there's like a little bit of God in there. And like worship and praise is just like some display of adoration for God. Yeah. this is i mean this is super interesting thinking about you showing up and um meeting these teens how did it go it was good i um i'm very introverted by nature uh but i i can adapt pretty quickly i feel like um and you know once they got past their initial horror at my very sheltered life um, you know, they started like giving me CDs to to sneak home and um, I would smuggle them in and literally wait until the light in my parents' room went out. And then I would like lay under my covers and with my headphones on and, and listen to music. And what were those CDs? So the first ones were Belle and Sebastian, Tiger Milk and the Decemberist EP, Elliot Smith, um, some gorillas. There was there was a healthy uh, Yola Tango. There was a healthy mix of stuff in there. Um, yeah, and it was it was like literally music I had never heard in my life. Like I didn't even know music could sound like that. Um, it was oh it was it was amazing. Like there's there's no way to have that experience unless you're like deprived for 18 years and you just have never known what it sounds like. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I'm imagining maybe you also hadn't heard, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess classical music, like had you heard certain instruments playing together? I mean, that, that feels like for, for praise and worship, it's like, maybe that's like a piano and a guitar sort of a situation. Yeah, there were a lot of guitars and a lot of pianos, uh, a lot of electric uh, sounding keyboards, <laughs> very electronic sounding keyboards. Um, our church had a full band, um, and but that was the only time that we could really listen to music with drums. And that was the other thing. Like there were there were times that um, we would find worship or praise music that was like really being modernized for like younger the younger generation. And my parents would just be like, you know, that just, it's too focused on like bass and drums. Like it's, that's, that's just, that's devil music. <laughs> wow. This is, yeah. Okay. So you're 17 or 18, you're having this experience of listening to this music. What happens next? So what happens next is my parents decide to move back to North Carolina. And at this age, 
you know, you're asserting some independence and you're starting to kind of build a little bit of a life outside your home life, um, which is a big deal when you've been like homeschooled and sheltered uh, because you start sort of establishing your own identity and forming your own community. And I feel like I was sort of just dipping my toe into that when the, uh, my family announced that we were moving. Um, and I remember telling my dad and just saying, like, disclaimer, like, dad, this is like, this is not a threat. But if I have to move to North Carolina, bad shit is going to happen. And it's not because I want it to. And it's not because I'm being difficult. It's because I have a support network here that I don't have there. And like, this is a very vulnerable time in my life. Um, and, you know, we moved, obviously. I'm in North Carolina right now. Um, and I was 19 when we moved to North Carolina. And uh, a few months after we moved here, I married a guy that I met on MySpace three weeks after I met him. And then uh, I got pregnant two months after we got married. And my son was about 13 months old when I left my ex-husband. So I was a essentially a 22-year-old single mom. I have a lot of I have a lot of follow-up <laughs> questions. Um, were you living with your you were living with your family during this time? Yeah. Yep. Were you living with your family when you were married? Did you did you did the two of you stay with your family? Uh, me and my ex-husband moved into my ex-husband's parents' house. Um, and we were there for I think like a little bit less than a year before we got our own place. And what was that person's vibe? Were they someone from a similar community and background or? Different? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, he, he was from a very different, uh, very different culture. Uh, for one, like his parents are very much Democrats um, and very just like, they're very like down to earth people. Um and they're not, like, I have a really hard time imagining either of his parents, like, even batting an eye if somebody tried to, like, fear monger them with some bullshit, you know? Like, they just, mm. they're not going to be faced by that. Um, they're they're really good people. Um, my ex lives with his parents now, and so when I don't have my son, he's over there. And um, I'm very, I'm really glad about it. They're really, they're really good people, and it's a good, it's a solid little family unit. What did your what did your folks think about the was it was it fine to be getting married or was that no not no, not at all not at all so uh part of a really really big part of my raising was you were born a girl so your job is to be a wife and a mother and a housekeeper and that's that is the purpose of your existence um and then my, you know, my mom was just like, I don't understand. Like you're, when you're little, you're always just like, I want to be a boy. I want to be a boy. I want to be a boy. And I'm like, this because you told me I had no options. Like <laughs> you told me that being a girl meant that like, I didn't have any say in my life. Um, in addition to just like not really feeling like a girl and not having the language to know that it's not one or the other, you know what I mean? Um, which was beyond a lot of people at that point in the U.S. at that time. Like, nobody had the language for that. Or I'm sure some did, but very few. Um, so, and the to top all of that off, those beliefs, um, to top all of it off, the, the understanding was that I did not get to pick my husband. My dad had to pick my husband. Ah. So, marrying a stranger from the internet... <laughs> Sort of the opposite of your dad. <laughs> was, a, was, yeah. a big, was a big old fuck you to my parents. Um, and, you know, like, <laughs> I can look back and be like, well, that was kind of immature. And I'm like, well, I was 20 and I was homeschooled, like, and totally sheltered. What do you expect to happen? Yeah. Also, I mean, I don't know. It's just like a random thing of, of, you know, I've had a therapist say to me, which is like that when we're Sometimes when we're in bad situations, the the way that we like bust out of them is not like a 
delicate and sweet and like well thought out plan. Um, it ain't, it ain't pretty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that like, you know, okay, maybe there's a world where that's possible, but just, but the, yeah, super, a, a, a tough, a bad situation, a tough situation can sometimes lead to like a messy move out of that situation. Yep. And so I don't know if that's like a maturity thing. Sometimes it could be a maturity thing, but it's also like an options thing, you know, like pulling a ripcord when you're like falling through space. It's like gonna revert, your body's going to be jerked back, but that was the only option or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like sometimes our brains know before we do, our subconscious knows when things are reaching critical mass. hmm. And I feel like human beings as a species are really resilient in a lot of ways. But if you are in an environment that is oppressing you and stifling you where you cannot be yourself and you cannot express yourself and you're constantly silenced and when you try to speak up, your voice is taken away, like at some point, like it's going to reach critical mass and you're going to have to get out of there. And it is... Uh, it's, it's almost like an animal instinct. That's like, I need distance. It's fight or flight. Like I need distance between myself and this thing. Yeah. So how is your relationship with your parents? Right now it's the best it's ever been. We, we had some really hard times very shortly before I got married. Um, I came out And to my parents, I came out to my dad. I thought I'd come out to my parents, but apparently my dad didn't tell my mom. It was a whole thing. Um, But it was, it was not, it was not a good experience. You came out as non-binary? As as bi. As bi. At that time. Yep. Um, And it was not something that I had planned because if it had, like it might've gone a different way. I don't know. But it just kind of happened, and it was um, it was not good. My dad, oh, like, legitimately almost had a heart attack and, you know, red and, like, fell out of his chair and was crying. And I was just standing there and, like, looking at him, and it's like, I, I want to feel sympathy or empathy for you, but it's like, I know that there's nothing wrong with me. And I'm not, like, I've grown up hearing, like, I know how you feel about like homosexuality, but, but that's just not reality. And I know that. Had you been dating folks and had experiences or was this a, um, yeah, a like thing that you found out about yourself absent those experiences? I know, I know both things can happen for folks. I knew that I was attracted to girls when I was like eight or nine Um, and it was kind of in conjunction with knowing that I wasn't a girl, but it would also be, you know, almost, uh, almost 30 years until I had the, the language to talk about that. So I knew that that was part of me and I didn't try to, it wasn't that I was denying it or that I was afraid of it in any way. It was like a survival thing where it's like, I know that this is not something I can talk to my family about because how they feel about this subject is commonly discussed. And I know what the, um, you know, I know what the temperature is there and it's not friendly to people like me. Um, Now, that being said, if I had come out to my parents as bi when I was like nine or 10, maybe it would have been different. I doubt it. Um, you know, my dad was listening to a lot of Rush Limbaugh and I remember being a little kid and listening to this guy and being like, this guy just sounds miserable and angry. Right. I mean, also, like, how, how old are you? If you? I'm 36. So like you being nine or, I mean, that's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe that could have happened. Yeah. I can't really imagine a world <laughs> where, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to understand because <clears throat> I'm four years older than you. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to imagine a world where like a child in the situation that you're in would have had that like information, not about self, but like about language or about like even that like a coming out is required. I don't know. I just feel like it's like a, it was a really different 
Yeah. Yeah. I no, for sure. For sure. Um, but to, to get back to how I'm doing with my parents now, like things are really good. And my younger sibling came out to my parents, um, I think about two years ago now, and it went really well and they were accepting and they were supportive. Um, she changed her pronouns to she, they, um, and, uh, changed their name. And my parents were a little like resistant to the name changing thing at first, but you know, we had some just like heartfelt conversations and they've come around to that too. There has been a lot of growth and they're like, as far as, um, I've gone to like toe to toe with my mom on different things. Uh, and I remember like back when house bill two passed in North Carolina, the trans bathroom bill, um, my mom posted something on Facebook that was just like basically saying that like men didn't belong in the women's room. And I was just like, sure. that's, that's not what this is about. Like I was like, there's so much, you can't oversimplify it. This is not what this is about. Um, and we had a long and, you know, thankfully not heated. We had like a calm conversation about it. And by the end, it was like, I feel, I mean, I can't say like, I, you know, I totally changed your mind, but it's like, I, I felt like there was some progress made and some ground gained. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't think it's necessarily a generational thing because I know people in like their 40s and 50s and 60s that are, you know, they're not racist and they're not homophobic and they never have been. Um, but it's like culture, I'm sure that culture plays a part in it. Um, and the environments that people grow up in, like really, they take a toll, like for better or for worse. Totally. Also, I mean, one has to have like support and community to be able to grow. I mean, that's something I think, you know, like, sure, I guess it's possible to just like muscle through on, you know, one's own, but like, that's not been my most fruitful experience. You know, I feel like it's been very helpful to be in community and something that I often think about is like, you know, my folks don't have like the kind of community that I have around learning. They've done an amazing job of like, you know, catching up, like for instance, something like a name change. It's like, that is a I would imagine like an intense experience for a parent, you know, if, especially yeah. if they like chosen that name, that's the person that they have felt bonded to. And, you know, maybe a more appropriate way to work through that would be to turn to their community and get support yeah, and get like reflection from other parents who've gone through this or who've like adapted and, and to see what it looks like on the other side, like, Oh, this is actually fine. But you know, it's, um, I just think it's like not something that often like, yes, there are like, there's like P flag, but I don't, I don't know that a lot of parents who haven't like had to think through or been able to think through their own sexuality and gender. I think it's like a, a heavy lift to, to do that. And so it ends up the people that they process that with is often like the, you know, the child who's going through it themselves. And it's a, it's unfortunate. Like I, you know, love to not have been the person that my parents processed so much with, but it also, you know, then it's on that person to decide to grow and to decide to, to move forward. But like, we also, I also have a lot of people to talk about these things with and like my folks don't. And that's, um, that can be generational. I think it's also like knowing that that's even something you could need. And I don't think we talk about that for like, you know, straight cis parents. I think, I think there's a lot of like, get fucking hip to this, like use the right language, like be accepting. Um, and without a ton of like help to do that. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, I, I feel for me, like one of the best things that I can do as far as like talking to my parents about this stuff is just prefacing everything with like, I do not know everything about this. I know very Mm -hmm. little and like, I'm still learning. Um, And, 
you know, and it's possible that like at some point my mom or my dad might ask me a question that I don't have an answer for. Um, and part of the beauty about, you know, part of, part of my biggest problem with Christianity and religion is that it seems like people in positions of authority feel like they always have to have an answer for everything. And everything has to be very clearly defined and there's rules and there's like law of order and hierarchy, all this stuff. And for me, one of the most empowering things that I can do is say, I don't know when I don't know, because there's there's a lot of shit that I don't know. Totally. That's awesome. And it's, you, you know, you, there's no cap on learning about gender and sexuality. Like these are, these are things that like we should be learning about ourselves for our whole lives. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. I don't think that that's something that should feel heavy or intimidating. Like it's a, it's a good, beautiful thing. You know, I don't know your family, but I'm, so maybe I'm making like some assumptions, but I just think about the, the way that my parents were isolated in the time that I was coming out, like how, how they just didn't have community around that. And then I remember how much things changed for them. They had like a good friend whose kid also came out and it, I remember how much that changed things for them. You know, it was pretty like beautiful to see because, you know, before that my mom had been like ordering books written by Ellen's mom. Like, it's just like, she just like didn't know what to do, you know? And, and she's done a great job of educating herself. But like, if you're the only one, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's real hard to, so uh, to me, I think about like one thing that's really damaging in conservative religious communities. We talk a lot about like the effects that it has on like folks like you and I, but we don't talk as much about the effects that it has on our parents who like have to be put in the position to muscle through this by themselves and that fucking blows and like yeah. also eventually become an adult and like you're responsible for your own behavior but i just it's like something that i can have some compassion for because for sure for sure and and my parents um you know they've come a long way they've both apologized very directly to me about certain things that's great that, that they mishandled um and i mean i can't one of the one of the more traumatic things that happened, and mind you, I'm in the closet at this time. Um, I was 17 or 18, and a friend of mine. I'd been taking these um, like dance classes, and a friend of mine who was my age uh, had just come out to his parents, and they threw him out of the house. He was like 17, and this is like a Christian family, and you know he was homeless. And, you know, we were friends. He's like hitting me up and he's just like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. I'm trying to make a plan. And like, I, I was so upset. And I went to my parents and I was just like, look, uh, Joe is on the street right now. He's literally on the street. His parents threw him out and they're just like, well, we can't do anything about that. And I'm like, well, can't he, can't he sleep on our couch or like, can we help him find something? And they're just like, you know, that's really the parent's decision. Like, it's not our place. Ugh. And and I was just like, and I think that that, you know, I had always had my struggles and doubts with Christianity. But I think at that point, just like seeing that disconnect yeah, where it's like doing the right thing has nothing to do with your religious beliefs. It just has to do with like your circumstance and your opinion and where you are right now in life. Like there's all kinds of atheists out there that would have seen that position and been like, oh my God, come stay with me. You can sleep in the spare room till you figure something. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, being a Christian, like Christianity does not have a monopoly on morality. Um, so that was that was one of the things that, you know, my mom was just like, I, I know how heartbroken you were about Joe and like, um, I just, she's like, I just was doing the best that I could with what I knew. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely. I was like, and that, you know, was it painful? Yes. Do I hate you and resent you for it and have bitterness? No, I don't. Because, because I genuinely do believe that like with all of the stuff that I went through growing up, like I know that my parents 
they're not malicious people, you know? And that's, that's a really important factor. They're not out there like trying to destroy us or tear us down or prevent us from being ourselves. They're, you know, their actions are coming from a place of care and concern and they're not, they're not caught up yet. Um, (laughs) But they're getting there and, and that, you know, that counts for something. It counts for something. Wow. Well, I want to talk a little bit about all of, you know, we've gotten to this, we've we've gotten through so much of your life and I'm very curious about this transition from like, you know, single parent to like, who's had this background that we're talking about to where you are today. (laughs) What the fuck happened in there? (laughs) Oh, so much. (laughs) So many things. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. So I think it was, I think it was like within the first six years of being a single parent, I moved 18 times. Wow. Um, because I was poor. Like I, I, you know, I was a kid. I have no formal education. I have no secondary education, not community college, like nothing. Um, and I was, I'm so grateful for this. I had the wherewithal to know that if I crammed four days of work together and worked from like 7 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. for four days, that the three days that I had my son, like it was just me and him, just no babysitters, no daycare, like it was just me and him. Um, And I'm so grateful for that because it was a really grueling schedule, but it afforded me like, it was worth it. It was, it was hard, but it was worth it. Um, I, I mean, I did all kinds of things. I feel like I, I'm always finding myself cashiering somewhere. I've worked at a lot of grocery stores. Um, and when I first, when I first started, um, the very first band, which I named Sarah Shook and the Devil on purpose to get back at my parents. And they thought it was hilarious. So they got the joke. Um, <laughs> um, I was working at uh, Lowe's Foods, which is a grocery store. And um, I ended up getting a job as a bank teller. I was a bank teller for five years. And... Uh, my last boss that I had while I was working there, we were leaving work one day and he just like looked at me and like looked at my outfit and he was just like, you know, you look like somebody who just constantly has a knife in your boot. <laughs> my grandfather, my grandfather carried a knife <laughs> yes. in his boots. I was like, it, it was just like this wake up moment almost. I was just like, why am I a bank teller? <laughs> like, what am I doing with my life? Um, and then I got an offer to start bartending at this little, little tiny dive bar called the cave, which is literally a basement that has been plastered to look like a cave. Amazing. Sounds great. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's a 75 capacity room. It's really tiny. And unless it's, unless there's like a big show happening, you are the bartender you're the bouncer, you're the door person, you're the janitor. Nobody works with you. Like you are on your own. And it was awesome. Uh, it was, it was a, one of my favorite, it's my favorite job I've ever had besides music stuff. Um, so bartended for a good number of years. And then, um, the disarmers started touring. Like we signed with bloodshot and, you know, we started going out like 150 days a year and yeah, it was, it, it was really heavy duty. I, and that, you know, the transition from like Sarah Shook and the Devil, where we were playing like local bars every now and then to like internationally touring 150 days a year was a huge adjustment. Um, and my son was, I think he was like eight or nine when we first started touring heavily. And um, before we signed the contract, I, went to him and I was just like, look, dude, um, if we take this deal, like I'm going to be gone a lot and it's going to be 
an adjustment. You would be spending a lot more time at your other house. And I just like, I want to get your feedback before I do anything. And um, he was just like, mom, like you have so many issues that you care about. And I know that like, this isn't really what you thought of for yourself as like a career, but I just think that the bigger you get, the bigger your platform is and the more likely you're going to be able to affect some change. So wow, go for it. And I was like, okay, my child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's rad. Actually, I mean, I want to ask you about having a, so he's like a teen now. Yeah, he's um, 15. I want to ask you about having a teen and using they, them pronouns. How how that is in your relationship with your son? I know that you know. There's a lot of people listening who I feel like would I don't I don't know if I've like talked to a ton of parents about that, but I, I feel like there's a maybe some guidance or some. I'm curious, you know, what that experience has been like in that relationship. Yeah, um, part of my transition, just in general, um, I started using she they pronouns. Uh, a while ago. And I felt like that was as much for me as it was for other people. It was like, I needed to start shifting away from this language that I use that I didn't really feel applied to me in the truest sense, but it was like part of my makeup. It is part of like where I came from and how I was socialized. Um, So it was, it was a stepping stone and I knew it was a stepping stone Um, and, you know, I, I'm trying, it's been a couple, it's been a couple months and I, I asked, uh, my partner and my son to start using they, them pronouns before I said anything public. Um, and they were totally supportive. And, um, I think last month I talked to my partner and son and I was just like, look, I have. Uh, a new name that I want to use. And, um, you know, as far as the public eye goes and like having this like band name that's like wrapped up in my name, I'm like, I'm really not concerned with changing that. Um, But like, you know, the two closest people in my life, I was like, this is something that I want to share with you. And, uh, and my son's first question was just like, can I still call you mom? Um, And I was like, that's a legitimate question. And I was like, for me personally, like, yes, that's totally fine with me. Um, that's what you've known me as your whole life. Uh, but I told him, I was just like, not everybody feels that way. And, you know, you might have a friend that goes through something similar where their parent might decide that they don't want to be called dad anymore or be mm-hmm. called mom anymore. And they might want them to call them something else. Um, and it's just like really important that like you be as supportive as you can be, um, when people are going through big changes like this. Uh, and one of the things that I told my partner, I was just like, look, this is like, this is a big shift. And I know that, um, and I don't want it to be like, it's, it's not, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Like if you miss, if you mess up or slip or whatever, like, that's okay. And if you want to take some time, like, getting used to it, like, take all the time you need. Um, and, you know, but that's, like, knowing that, like, you're with a partner who is supportive and, like, ultimately, like, it's going to be a normal thing, but it, like, just takes a little bit of time to get into that that zone. Um, I think that my son is has a mind that... I, I, you know, I can't even take credit for, I don't know where he gets some of the stuff that he gets. The way that he talks about gender is like so beyond his years. And, and like, he was using language that I didn't even really understand when he was like seven. Um, And when he was like six or seven, he was just, you know, how little kids talk and just out of the blue one day, he's just like, you know, mom, when I grow up, I don't think I'm going to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a non-binary partner. I'm just going to be single. And he he just said it like, you know, it was the most natural thing in the world. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, you are going to be fine <laughs> in this life, dude. 
Wow. So thanks for sharing all that. That's awesome. Um, and so, so you have a different name that you're using with your close people. And right now you don't think that you will update the like public facing band version of that. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a weird position to be in um, because I do feel like if our band had been just the disarmers from the beginning, then like, I, I would probably be like, yes. Um, and I'm also like, the older I get, the less attached I am to things. So for now it feels like, yeah, I'm fine with Sarah Shook being the public name and this being the private name. But I also know that at some point that might change. I might yeah. feel differently about it. And like, that's okay. You know, be be easy with yourself and give yourself room and time to to change. Right. I mean, obviously you're in a certain, you're, you know, in a certain circumstance, but um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have, are, you know, work any job that might be navigating this. So it's not, it's it's like a heightened version of something that, I think a lot of people deal with in terms of like workplace and household and, you know, how to manage those two things and what choices to make yeah. in those different areas, you know? Awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you. You too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I really loved it. Um, I know you're, you're touring a bit coming up in Europe. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, um, hopefully in August and September, everything's booked. Well, we should be over there for about 30 days. Well, I like, yeah, I mean, I wish you and all of the rest of us the best, the best <laughs> of luck with the, yeah, with, with what the vibe will be like in August. Talk, yeah, talk about not being attached to things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 like, best of luck to all of us. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's awesome. And yeah, I really love speaking to you and, and hopefully, you know, maybe there's someday in the future when you're, you'll be in LA or I'll be somewhere where you are. And, yeah. Uh, I'd love to see you play. It'd be so cool. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, before I send you back into your day, I always ask folks that are on the podcast to shout out a queero, which is like a person, place or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. So do you want to shout out a queero? Um, shout out to the cave in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Cool. Um, that is a safe and welcoming place for all. I am going to look this place up. Sounds cool. rad. Yeah. Cool. <laughs>